0: Well, well, hello everybody. You are in for a treat today. Today's slightly longer than normal, and that's just because Rob and Sarah dropped so many golden nuggets of information that I just know you're going to find useful, whether you're experienced or you're not, or you're starting out or you've been in there for a while they have a really interesting insight and, and they give realistic timelines and costs, you know, how much money they've left in, if they're selling a property, you know, how much money it's making them and the reasons for this. Um, and also some really nice insight into Manchester as a potential investment area, which we cover near the end of the podcast. They became financially free within a year of kind of going full blast in property. And that's about six grand a month. So, you know, maybe more than financially free. But before that, they took a year of kind of challenges, um, and some difficulties, and then education and learning, and there's there's so much information they've distilled into this this podcast, and I know we can talk for ages, and yeah, you're really gonna enjoy it. Follow them on uh, Maygreen Investments on Instagram. They all have some beautiful, beautiful interior designs. You're gonna love it. They actually are running an amazing competition. It's not a 15 minute free consultation, but it's a whole day free for two people to be driven around their investment areas in Manchester, to ask them anything you like, to get really deep about their VAs and outsourcing, on which they're huge on, talk about how they scale their business, to see their HMOs and to see their current refurbs. This is amazing. I mean, when they told me they were giving this away, I was like, what? This is big. Like, I'm trying to win it myself. Um, now, in order to win it, you have to do something, of course. So, like the May Green Investments Instagram page, like some of the photos. Get two friends to follow them on May Green Investments. Like the Facebook page. Get two people to like it as well. Um, tag them and share one of you know their, your favourite posts from their Instagram on your Instagram or on your Facebook or any form of social media. So, so far we've got like their Instagram, get two friends to follow it. Like the Facebook page, get two friends to follow it. Take a picture um, or you know, screenshot, something of theirs you really like, post it and tag it, Um, you know, tell people about the podcast, get some awareness on it, um, and then leave a review for Talks. like and follow my Instagram page. Um, And that's all you need to do to be in with a chance of of winning. Hey, I said, get two people to follow them. If you get 30, then, you know, off the record, you're probably going to have a better chance of winning because we'll we'll rank it by, you know, know, who's got the most followers for them. So, I hope that doesn't sound like too much work because what you're getting in return is a day with these two amazing investors. And by listening to the podcast, you're going to probably, you know, at the end of it, be like, I want to spend a day with them. So I'll leave it with you. Sarah and Rob of Maygreen Investments, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast.
1: Thanks so much. Good to be here.
0: Thanks very much, Ted. No problem. And, you know, I think I first discovered you on Instagram, which is, is kind of weird to say, in property because, you know, there are quite a few property investors on Instagram, but not as many as in other sectors, right? Um, And I'd love to touch on why Instagram is important a bit later because you do have a very nice Instagram feed. I'm just looking at it right now and some of the designs are fantastic. But, you know, I guess for people out there who maybe aren't following you on Instagram, like, you know, what were you doing before property?
1: Yeah, thanks for the kind words, Tej. Um It's Sarah here. So, for property, um, I've always been in investment banking. I, as you may hear from my voice, I'm Australian um, and I moved to the UK in 2009. So, I've been in the corporate world since then. Um, and basically, what my day job is, which I still do now, um, is I onboard and project manage um, new investment vehicles. And A lot of what that involves is managing the negotiation of legal agreements, um, ensuring the funds are compliant, um, lots of AML and KYC. So I'm I'm quite used to dealing in a corporate environment um, and also a high pressured environment, which has actually helped quite a lot um, in the property world when we've been trying to negotiate deals and get deals over the line in a very time sensitive manner. But up until now, it's been all about the corporate world for me. Um, At the moment, Property is still a a side hustle for me. Uh, Rob works in the business full-time. So I am, at the moment, trying to manage a full-time job and also uh, our property investing business.
2: Yeah, so um, well, most of my career, before getting into property, I uh, have worked for various kind of interior design companies, um, predominantly based in London. Um, Did that for probably about 10, 15 years, which... um, the great thing with that was it really kind of exposed me to some pretty high-end luxury developments. Um, so it was good because I got to kind of see a little bit about how a property is developed from start to finish. Um, obviously, got to see uh, how well some of the developers that we were working for were doing, um, which, you know, really did attract me to property in the first place. And then... um like more recently before I got into property, I started a a contract furniture business. So um, we were actually um, doing furniture for the hotel industry. So we were furnishing hotels again, predominantly in London. Uh, We also did some pretty cool projects with um, Coca-Cola and Red Bull, which was a bit weird for furniture, but it worked out pretty well. Um, So that was kind of my first venture into business. Before getting into property, and um, for me, it, it taught me some hard lessons because I was a designer primarily with no real business background. So um, definitely, you know, made some made some mistakes, um, but learned a lot and and took a lot of positives out of that. Um, I mean, some of the big things were kind of understanding the financial side of a business how to market a brand, um, and also how to kind of system systemize and outsource, which is something which we've definitely done a lot in, in our property business. So, so there were some really like great parts to that, um, that business. And, um, the other thing that it exposed me to was kind of some of the self-development side of what we're doing. Um, Yeah it wasn't something I was really aware of before starting my own business. So that really tuned me into, you know, reading books and making sure I'm improving myself.
0: Wow. Okay. So you've got interior design and working with investors. I mean, that is kind of like the perfect combination for property, right? So, but you're also a couple. So how is it working together?
1: Uh, well, it's been a learning curve. Uh, <laughs> um, initially, I think we both wanted to, to do to do everything and to sort of be across all aspects of the property investing business, but we quickly learned that uh, it's better to uh, divide and conquer. So we um, we now play into our strengths um, and we stick to our own lanes. And uh, like in a relationship, you just have to trust that the other person um, is doing what they say they're going to do and, um, and just roll with it. But I mean, being in a relationship, we found that it's actually provided a great amount of support. I know there are a lot of investors out there that are doing this on their own and, and network is, is really key in investing and you know, to have your new, new husband, um, life partner as your business partner um, is an amazing support and an, an amazing sort of network from, from home as well.
0: Wow, I love it. And then, so when did you first like get into property? When was your first kind of deal together?
1: So we got into property when we bought our first um, uh, house together in London back in way back in two thousand and fourteen. We found a, a very nice Victorian two-bed conversion uh, in southeast London in an up-and-coming area called Broccoli. It was really well-connected, and um, we basically found the worst house um, on the street. It was very run down, um, and we'd seen a lot of properties up um, before then that had basically been furnished by other people and decorated, and we just knew we really wanted to find something that we could put our own stamp on. Um, obviously, Rob, being an in interior design, he, he obviously was experienced in that, so we knew we wanted to kind of put our own touch on it. So when we walked into this property, it was a, a wreck. It was completely run down. It had been owned by a landlord for, uh, you know, 10 years and just, you know, there's no maintenance. And at one point they had apparently 10 Mexicans living in the flat um, <laughs> that our, our neighbor downstairs told us about later. But um, we, when we walked in, we just saw the potential and it got us so excited. And, um, I mean, that was a huge learning curve for us because <laughs> – being new to property, we we wanted to do, and also on a tight budget, we wanted to do everything ourselves. So we did a lot of DIY. We, we took down ceilings, we put new ceilings up. Rob took his hand to, to plastering. I was the painter and decorator. Um, so we learned a lot, but after completing the the um, refurbishment, uh, two years later, we managed to refinance the property and we pulled out 150000 and We thought, wow, there is something in this property game, and, and we didn't even realize at the time, but we'd actually done the, you know, buy, refurb, refin- refinance model on our first, uh, on our first home. Um, so we have a lot to thank for that grotty little flat in London, <laughs> which, um, which we now rent out. It's our only buy-to-let in our property, and uh, it it actually achieves the highest rent in the area, which is which is great, just because we did it to such a high standard. Um, so. After that and pulling out that 150000 you know, that was a massive opportunity for us to explore property investing more. So we basically used that money to pay for a bit of education and also pay for our first two HMOs. Um, so our chosen investment strategy was going to be HMOs because we wanted the, the cash flow each month to replace Rob's salary um, because he was going to be working in the business full time. So... Um, Our first investment property was a three-bed house up in Greater Manchester, and we converted that three-bed house into a five-bed, four-bath HMO. Um, Obviously, it being our first investment property um, and also our first HMO, we did make a lot of mistakes, and it was a massive learning curve for us. I mean, up until that point, we kind of spent a year educating ourselves. So there's nothing like learning on the job. Um, And one of the biggest lessons that we learned was um, how to manage a builder correctly and making sure that we were involving the correct people from the beginning. So um, that property had quite a lot of damp issues, which we are now actually having to rectify now and move a few tenants out. But yes, involving the right professionals from the beginning, such as damp and and timber specialists, and also getting the HMO officer and and council involved from the beginning so that you don't um, complete the refurbishment and then the officer comes around to grant the license and they want a number of things changed, which is going to cost more money. Um, and also. Detail with builders, so it goes both ways. Providing as much detail as you can to the builder and your schedule of finishes, what you're looking for, and also making sure that that builder that you choose gives you break a clear breakdown of quotes, and that you're comparing like for like. If you're, you know, if you're comparing quotes from multiple builders, um, none of this we did on that job, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, mistakes can always be your biggest lessons. So that's definitely what we've taken from that for that first eight
0: absolutely and, and you know if we go back to the to the london property because i know a lot of people say you can't invest in london it's, it's really expensive it's it's kind of you know it's not very affordable i guess you kind of accidentally invested in london very well um and i know you saying it brings in the highest rent in that kind of area and you know when if people go on your instagram hopefully they can see some pictures of it because it looks awesome like it, it really really looks super nice i think what you had in the kitchen there was like a splashback that was. It looked like marble or a rock, um, and people listening are going to think, "What am I talking about?" But when they see it, they'll know like what I'm talking about, and it looks amazing. Um, so, so with that property, have you like have you still got it in your portfolio?
2: Yeah, we do. Um, yeah, so that property is still part of our portfolio. It wasn't bought in our limited company. Um, we started that after uh, we pulled the money out of that property. Um, But, you know, essentially, it still adds a a nice amount of cash flow um, coming into the other HMOs that are, are, I suppose, the the bulk of our portfolio that we bought last year.
0: Mm. And you mentioned education. Um, A lot of people, you know, ask me, oh, who's the best education provider to go to? You know, I've heard this, I've heard that, I've heard that. Are you you happy to share who you went with and and kind of how much it helped you?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, we started off with the uh, legacy program. So... We did, uh, I think, four or five weekends that were, you know, three days, sit down on a Friday, go through um, a particular type of strategy all the way through until the Sunday. Um, it, to be honest, at the beginning, it was, it was beneficial to us because we were so short on knowledge. We didn't know a lot about the HMO market, um, or we didn't know anything about the HMO market. Um, it was great in terms of content um that's definitely for sure one thing i think it it lacked a little bit for us was the mentorship side so um just having someone that can like kind of teach you day by day while you're out there or not even so much day by day but just hold your hand a little bit through the first parts of how you invest in property um so we actually did take on a mentor as well um, in 2016, and and that uh, sorry 2017, and that really helped us. Um, that six-month mentorship period, combined with the knowledge that we got from Legacy, uh, really kind of set us on our way. So then, when we started completing our properties at the beginning of 2018, um, you know, we really had a good foundation of knowledge already.
0: Mm. And so, so now you live in Hampshire, am I right?
2: that's right we do
0: so how and I, I feel like i heard manchester so how are you investing uh, four hours four and a half hours away from your home
2: <laughs> well a big part of that was in the very beginning um we looked at ha- where we were going to invest and at the time actually we were living in london and we, we didn't want to invest any further than two and a half hours away from where we lived um the biggest problem was we just couldn't get the deals to stack up the way we could if we started venturing further north. And um, that first year when we were doing a lot of education, we were actually getting quite frustrated because although we were trying to invest at the same time as as do the learning, um, but we just weren't finding the deals that we were kind of looking for. Um, in fact, actually, we basically got to one day where we got so frustrated that we weren't able to find these deals that we just got in a car we got in the car and literally just drove North and we were like, I'm not, we're not coming back home until we've got, uh, an offer accepted. Um, because one of the problems we were having was in order to get the deals to stack up, especially in, in the South was we were having to offer so low, um, to what the property was on the market for. Most estate agents were just, you know, like just laughing at us really. So, um, <clears throat> we drove north, we we got to Manchester, we, we kind of realised that there was, you know, a strong market. We tested demand um, for, you know, the type of products that we'd be offering to the HMO market up there. And we realised that there was going to be a strong demand for it. Um, and then at the same point, we started working with kind of a systemized process to actually finding the deals, which took away this um issue that we were having in the first place which was having to offer really low ball offers we were just looking at deals that were on the market for i suppose like a fair price so we were able to offer much closer to asking price and therefore you know get get much more get a lot more offers accepted
0: Mm, okay and then you said you were testing the demand for the kind of product you'd be offering how did you do that
1: yeah, so for HMOs, there are a couple of ways. Um, if you're looking for a new area and trying to work out whether HMOs is going to work, um, first and foremost, um, we'd ring around estate agents, and um, just to have, speak to them. You know, find out their knowledge. Some of them won't deal with HMOs. Some of them will. Um, and then um, after that, we then we use spare room quite a lot. So the first test is having a look at how many rooms are for rent versus how many uh, people are looking for rooms in that area. We try to be as specific as postcodes um, when searching because if you search the Greater Manchester, you're going to pull in quite a lot of results that aren't really relevant to your specific area. Um, And then we actually use dummy ads on spare rooms. So we'll put out out an ad advertising a room um, for the average room rates or the rates that we think we can achieve in that area. And then we track the um, results that we get from that over a two week period. And if we're getting any more than one or two messages a day, we deem that to be sufficient demand for that area.
0: Wow, okay. Because it's, it's always one, you know, with HMOs, especially when people are new in property, they say, Oh, you know, how am I supposed to know if this area is going to work? Or how do I, you know, yeah, it's got businesses, it's got all these transport links, but you kind of never know I mean I guess you technically never know but at least with your kind of method you definitely have a, a data-driven way of um, supporting your decisions which is which is good um, and let's talk about that first HMO in terms of the figures because it'd be really good to kind of share with the listeners like, how much you bought it for what the kind of refurb cost was end value and how much it, it brings in or, or brought in a month
1: yeah sure so um, we bought that property for 136,000 Um, and we spent 35,000 on it. So converting it into a five bed HMO. And our original intention with, for that property was to keep it within our portfolio. Um, but since investing in um, HMOs, we've come across a company that basically sources high quality ready-made HMOs for their investors. Um, so we are now selling that on to that company for 240000 um, and we're due to complete on that sale this month, so in a couple of weeks. Um, if we were to keep that in our portfolio, the, the rent from that is 2,600. Um, our monthly expenses are about 1,200. Um, so that leaves us with a profit of about
0: 1,300. Wow, okay. And the refurb on that was about 35,000, am I right?
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Because we didn't, um, for that property, we didn't change the kitchen. Um, so that was kind of an expense for um, And it didn't need, it needed work, but... Um, you know it wasn't as big as some of our more recent HMOs.
0: Okay and then so when it comes to to flipping it on what is the expected flip profit going to be on this?
1: 45,000.
0: Okay wow and I guess you know in a sense there's a strategy in doing that right in the sense that you, you could do this flip them on every single time because you know how to do it you know the areas you know it works and just keep flipping property so you know whilst you know the rest of your portfolio is being held for people listening You know, perhaps consider if you've got the skills that Rob and Sarah do, perhaps consider flipping on to other investors and making some some pretty nice HMOs. Um, And so if we so that's your kind of first property, if we, I guess, zoom out and look at your kind of portfolio from from a kind of top level, how many properties do you currently own or in the process of owning, I guess, as of now in January 2019?
2: Yeah, so we've got seven HMOs uh, or seven HMOs deals, seven HMO deals done uh, in 2018. Um, we've completed the refurb and we finished four of them um, with with tenants in. And the obviously with the London buy to let that just at the moment, that's generating about £6,000 a month cash flow. Um, so that's that's from from the, the 2018 deals. And then we've got a further three properties All of which were deals we did last year, but they are much bigger properties that we are developing at the moment due to probably finish around July time um, this year.
0: Okay. And how long has it taken you to go from zero investment properties to the sort of seven you have now? Or or more importantly, how long has it taken to go from zero cash flow to, you know, sort of 6K a month?
2: Well, I mean, I guess technically we completed on the first property in January of 2018 um but prior to that i would say that we still had a good year and a half or two years of of like education and learning and and quite a bit of struggle as well so it wasn't a straightforward we've got this property or we've we've done seven properties in in our first year um behind behind that first year there was kind of a lot backing backing it up um and we also during that year i think particularly from my previous business experience, I realized that because we were a small team, I knew we were going to need to lay down some foundations with systems and processes. Um, We also employed two uh, virtual assistants full time um, that worked for us from the Philippines. Uh, So we were, I suppose, like teaching them a little bit about what we'd been taught and we were creating Really, the systemized approach that we have now in that in in that year and a half before we really just went hell for leather and started investing in 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 property.
0: Wow. So I want to touch you know on the VAS and go into a bit of detail about those. But first, you kind of mentioned that year year and a half of education and kind of struggle and challenges. What were some of your biggest challenges and struggles in that time? Because you know, I guess property courses and kind of social media can make property look like you know straight into it in a year you're financially free which you did achieve but there's also the kind of year and a half before of struggle so what what was the biggest struggle or challenges you faced in that time?
2: I think um, probably the, the the biggest challenge was uh, you know ourselves really um, like mentally because we weren't immediately uh, finding a lot of success I think we had to you know, keep ourselves motivated and, and keep uh, ourselves convinced that we were heading towards the right direction. Um, I think with social media, particularly as well, you know, you can spend a lot of time looking at other people's successes. And when you're not immediately getting those successes, you can compare yourself to them. And we certainly did a bit of that in the beginning. But I think something we've really learned as we've become more experienced is, you know, uh, especially the things that are put on social media tend, generally tend to be the the successes, and no one really talks about the struggle. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think you know the comparisons probably was was the was one of the early things.
1: Uh, sorry, I was just going to say. I also think trying to find the perfect deal as our first deal, um, and there is no such thing as the perfect deal. Um, you just have to find a deal that works for you and that you're comfortable with. Um, as I said earlier, you know the learning happens when you get your first deal and you go through the refurb process, the buying process, the tenanting process. Um, So our first training and education with Legacy, they promote, you know, money in, money out, which in today's world, especially for HMOs, I just don't think that's, you know, very realistic, especially on, you know, if you're starting small in the four bed and five bed, which is, you know, where we started, you know, money in, money out is going to be very rare. So we kind of had to change our, expectations but you know we only started doing that after we worked with our mentor up until then we were trying to find these money in money out deals and we we even walked away from some deals which you know we should have done um but they weren't the perfect or our idea of the perfect deal so you know don't be too hard on yourself initially i think is is one of the things because that's that caused a big struggle for us um initially and then you know when we got comfortable with okay we will invest for a minimum of 25% ROI in an HMO then you know these deals started presenting themselves and and you know there they were they probably were there all along.
0: <laughs> yeah no, that that's a very important point Like the, the point about social media and also about setting your goals because yeah that money in money out it can work in some places South Wales for example maybe in the kind of the north east somewhere Um But it's so important to set those kind of ROI or return on whatever it is you want to measure so that, you know, your eyes open to the deals that are that are right in front of you. And, you know, you have achieved to most people more than financial freedom within a year of kind of, you know, going health and other, like you said, Rob. But um, you also mentioned the VA. So I'd love to kind of delve into that and understand, you know, how you found them, kind of what they actually do for you, how much it kind of costs and how, I guess, vital they've been to your success and growth.
2: Yeah, so um, the first point of in terms of finding them, I suppose, was uh, for us opening our eyes to the whole process, and and that came from a book that we read called The Four Hour Work Week, which I'm sure you know, a lot of other people have read. Um, but it, it, Tim, it was written got by a guy called Tim Ferriss, and you know he talks his whole process was basically how could he take himself out of his business. So it was. That really that kind of switched our minds on to how can we look at property as a business, um, work out all of the really time consuming tasks that are taking us away from, I suppose, what we knew were going to be the important things, which was going to be finding the deals, raising the finance and um, overseeing the projects to the kind of design spec that we wanted to achieve. So and all the other stuff, especially the due diligence and the research, you know, it's so time consuming. Um, so and we knew that really we should be with the education that we had, we would be able to teach anyone really how to do this. So we decided we would bring on some virtual assistants. I had actually I had dabbled with um, employing virtual assistants in my previous business. so I had a bit of experience on where to go and find them. Um For the listeners, there are various ways of doing it. You can do it yourself by um, either going to uh, websites called Upwork or um, Outsourcerly, where you essentially you post on these websites the type of person that you're looking for or you type a piece of you you post a a project, a piece of work that 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 person is expected to do. Then what tends to happen is you will get inundated with um, uh, people wanting to actually apply for the job that's actually quite difficult because it it takes a long time to sift through and create your own elimination process to get to the right person so there are people out there now who are sourcing VAs um, much in the same way that you know properties are sourced so you you essentially go to them and you say look this is the type of person that I'm looking for can you go out there and do the legwork and interview a number of virtual assistants and come back to me with you know a smaller pool of people that we can interview so that's the approach that we took and um we had four different virtual assistants to interview in that on that first um, phase we narrowed them down to two um one of those two is is still with us that's over a year ago now we did this um, we actually changed up one of the other virtual assistants she, she just wasn't working that well but the great thing about using a saucer is you go back to the and you just say hey look this person isn't isn't quite right for me and and actually um the lady we dealt with she was very good and, and found us someone else who's been fantastic um and in terms of what they do for us uh, there's a huge array of, of things they do uh everything from bookkeeping um social media posts obviously area due diligence so research test ads the due diligence that sarah was talking about earlier in terms of checking if an area is going to be good for an hmo um A lot of our our, um, VAs do a lot of that. Um, Things like looking for new furniture and product research for our HMOs. Um, A big thing we've just started doing is managing the utilities. So the bills, every time we buy a new new project, there's obviously all the bills and the utilities, there's the council tax to set up. We've got a system uh, which is managed by the uh, virtual assistant now. Um, Even marketing for tenants, um, they do a lot of email management for us. So they, they're literally in our emails, uh, checking for certain things, liaising with our letting agent. I mean, the, the list is is very long. And uh, one thing that we have definitely found is over the year that we've been working with our virtual assistants, they have grown immensely. So at the beginning where um, you know we were having to teach them a lot about the UK property market, um these guys now they've learned so much from us and especially by things like managing our social media accounts they are becoming experts in the uk property market themselves so uh they have both become extremely valuable assets to us and uh yeah one thing i think that has well one of the things that has has kind of contributed to our success is is being able to use them um so you know and it it is a cost-effective uh, way of being able to bring people into a, a small team
0: wow and you know a lot of people say at the start like oh it's going to cost me money to outsource it and i guess they're missing the point of it's going to cost you money but it's going to free up time for you you know has i think i know the answer but you know the money you've spent on these vas have they made it back in terms of what they've given you an roi uh, i
2: mean absolutely absolutely yeah they uh, more than have giving us giving us that back i mean the the, the biggest thing rather than the financial side is the time someone said to me some uh, in one of the courses that we did uh, someone said something like uh, you can earn more money but you can't earn more time and um you know if we were to spend all of our time doing the things that the vas are doing for us in our business we wouldn't be able to go out there and do the important things on our business which you know like i said at the beginning of finding the deals bringing in the money and then overseeing the projects uh you know so we wouldn't be able to do the important parts to grow the business
0: yeah that's that's super interesting you've inspired me i'm going to buy four hour work week now so that's i'm am looking forward to to VAing up my life um <laughs> so you mentioned finding deals and then um also um so, find, so, so let's focus on finding deals when it comes to deals obviously you're, you're kind of far away from your location but you're also kind of outsourcing a lot of things what what are the main sort of sources that you've found deals from
1: uh so we find all of our deals actually um through right um and the way in we do, the way in which we do that is we have a funnel system. So we have a set criteria. Uh, we have about 10 postcodes. Most of these are a quarter mile from either a train station, a hospital, or a town center. Um, and we set a criteria for our VAs to search and basically scrape the data off, right move, um, and put um, those properties into our property funnel. Um, so for example, you know, postcode X, Um, two beds or more up to 200k and we only look for houses. So they import that, they import all of that data into the funnel. And then the funnel has our basic parameters. So set minimum and maximum ROI that we're looking to achieve on each deal. Um, And the VA then goes, we've taught them how to basically find sold comparables on Rightmove. Um, So they go into Rightmove and they Um, input what they believe to be the the, the done up price of that property and then if there's a big enough difference between the asking price and the done up value um, the funnel will alert us that we should go and view those properties and up until then that's all done by the VA's and that takes hours Um, and then we know that when we before we go to view a property um, that there's a lot of scope for us to offer very close to the asking price because there's enough value that we can add um, based on sold comparables around that postcode. Um, we then go view the property and um, we report the estimated refurb amount to the VA. They then put that in the funnel and then the funnel basically produces our minimum maximum our minimum and maximum offer, um, based on our, um, set ROI. So our ROIs at the moment are between 25 to our, 25% is our minimum. Um, and then up to 35% or obviously ideally infinite return. Um, and so that's how we found all of our deals.
0: Wow. I love that. That's so automated. Like uh, the amount of time you save, like, and, and this just highlights to people listening that, you know, yet at the, you know, right at the beginning of your journey, hey, maybe you may not need a VA, but if you want to get the kind of scale and have the freedom to, to work on the other aspects of the business and enjoy life, then seriously consider a VA because everything you've said is like a headache to do, but you're not doing it, which is, which is awesome. <laughs> um, And how do you finance deals? So obviously the first one was your own home. So I'm assuming you kind of bought that yourself, but every HMO since then, has it been your own money or investors or Yeah.
2: So the first two deals, we, um, first two HMOs we did, we, we self-financed. Um, we felt like we would, we wanted to do that to to test that we could do it, um, without having to straight away go to, um, an investor to raise the money. And, and, And that did work very well for us because when we did run out of money, which was, you know, halfway through the second project, actually, um, we had, uh, we had like a mini portfolio that we were able to show um, what we were doing and and we could prove that it had been successful. So that, that definitely helped us. Um, Then we obviously started to go and and raise finance ourselves. The first thing we did really was we just started telling everyone what we were doing Um, and people started to get generate interest. Uh, I think those early days of speaking to investors are quite different to the way that we speak to them now. Um, I really just remember at the time, feeling like we were selling opportunities, uh, which it's certainly that's not the case now. Um, we much, the way we kind of approach investors now is, you know, we are offering opportunities for investors to come on board and obviously make fantastic returns, which they do. Um, so that, that was a real learning curve, just the approach to speaking to investors at the beginning. Um, and one of the really interesting things for us now and i mean you touched on our social media at the beginning and in our, our instagram feeds and we've been really uh, keen on building that brand and and consequently from it we're now finding that actually investors are approaching us um we're probably getting two to three investors a week at the moment approaching us uh wanting to you know see if they can invest in our projects so that's been amazing um wow. and i mean yeah <laughs> And uh, I mean, the social media side of it has really been huge for us. I mean, I, I, and to be honest, I can't take a huge amount of credit for this because actually, Sarah manages the uh, the Instagram feed, so I probably should pass you over to her. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, we've we've literally raised you know hundreds of thousands through through social media, where those initial contacts have been people that have you know approached us either via an email or through um, Instagram or Facebook. Seeing what we're doing um, and wanting to be involved in the projects.
0: Wow, and and you're not, you know, and also I've seen your feed, and, and people will after they've heard this, you know, you're not asking for money, you're not, you're not really asking for anything. You're just documenting your careers in property and your business and your in your interiors and kind of what you're doing in your journey. And you know, t- people always say, "Oh, what do I post as content? What what do I kind of put on?" And really you're just documenting yourselves which leads to people seeing how genuine you are and the fact that you're doing it because you want to provide affordable you know well-designed well-built homes for people um and that's enough that people will give you hundreds of thousands of pounds you know stemming from social media like instagram um just because you're showing them what you're doing right so it can Mm. you know as, as simple as it isn't it can be as simple as just documenting your your life right
1: yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. It's exactly the right strategy. Um, I think a lot of investors are using Instagram as a sales pitch um, to try and attract investors. And I think they're getting it wrong, to be honest. I mean, Instagram is a place for people to you know, cur- curate these very visual, beautifully designed grids, well thought out content. Um, which is something we've definitely focused on. Um, and as you say, that has just attracted people to us. I mean, everyone is interested in looking and hearing about what you're doing and following your journey. Um, I mean, we've even just started mentoring some people and, and they're very they're at the beginning of their journey. But I said to them, you know, get on Instagram, start your account. You are still doing stuff. You can talk about your learnings. There's so much learning in the beginning. You can talk about your struggle. They just had their first offer accepted. Amazing, talk about that, you know. It builds so much credibility um, and you're building your story um, and you've you really got nothing to lose. But I think by not um, looking at it like, okay, this is a sales pitch, this is just me expressing and giving people a look into our business and what we're doing. Um, You're letting people in and and that, you know, encourages interest and people want to know more. Um, Yes, we do post a lot of our success stories, but, you know, also in our highlights and we also do try and post our learnings and and our mistakes and, and, you know, what we're we're learning day by day. Um, I think the final thing just to add in terms of Um, raising finance, um, is really confidence and and believing in your project. Um, You know, if you If you go into a meeting with an investor confident in your deal um, and your numbers, you know, that will translate to them that you know what you're doing. Um, You know, you really need to have that confidence because it comes through in your language, your body language, your approach, and also having the belief that, okay, hey, this deal might not be for this investor, but there is another investor out there that is willing to, you know, take hold of those Uh, that great opportunity that you're offering them and, and, you know, earn so much interest on that money that is just sat in a bank doing nothing and it's backed by a bricks and mortar asset that's not going anywhere. So um, we found that this can even create a bit of FOMO from investors (laughs) saying, well, I want the deal. I don't want another investor to get it because, you know, we're pretty frank with people. We say, look, we do have other investors that, you know, would take this opportunity. We'd love to work with you. But if it's not for you, hey, it's not for you.
0: I love that, I love that fomo for investors because you know <laughs> when you're when you're new in property investment and I speak to a lot of people they they kind of the struggle is how to find them, how to secure them in the first place, and I like that you're at a point where you know a year, two years after you've started, your kind of investors are are fighting over a deal, and that's kind of. I think that's realistic for people to listen to and say you know what it, it can take this long but when you get to this point like you said two or three investors you know every week every few weeks contacting you that that is so it, it feels unobtainable right when you're new in property but actually looking at your journey looking at what you're posting you know you it is so so achievable for everyone listening um and I think it, it's good to kind of hear the timeframes and kind of where you're at now because it just shows people what they could be aiming for right in in sort of a year or two after starting um and actually you know what i was i was looking through the properties you sent me over and i think it was memorial road you you put you you had an offer accepted on it before you saw the property so what gave you i know you kind of had a property down the road from it but what gave you the confidence to kind of put your names on the line put an offer in before you saw it because it could have been you know there could have been something hidden or, or or something crazy with it
2: yeah so with that one I actually had seen a property over the road from it um, probably a month or so before this one came on the market um, and we got so close to actually buying that property we missed out on it I think by about five grand um, and again at that point we were really trying to um, look for this like perfect deal Uh, Back then and actually actually at the time. I think we saw that that pro I saw that property I don't think we were working with our mentor at the time. So um, Anyway, this one on Memorial Road came up on right move. We got in contact with the estate agent and We just happened to be a bit late to the table in terms of our offering on it Um, They were doing a best and final offers uh, I think on the day. So we we essentially put in we we used our system we looked at the numbers we we worked on a I think a minimum of 25 percent ROI um, which it ended up being better than that after we we did the refurb but we, we essentially we put our best offer down um, without having even seen the property because I looked at the layout and I knew it would be a good property I could I could tell by just some of the pitches but in the back of my mind I also knew that if it turned out to be a complete horror, I would I would just send my build around, um, have a look and, and, and we would pull out. But um, with, that's actually what we did. I, I didn't actually even see the property for a while, even after we would had our offer accepted, because I don't think I could get to Manchester. There were a lot of things going on and I just couldn't get out there. So I actually sent our build around. Um, he was working on obviously our, our other project, which happened to be just down the road. He popped in there, had a look around, um, gave me really good feedback on it. So I knew it was going to be a good deal. And that project Memorial road actually was probably the most, definitely the most intensive project that we've done. Um, that one was like fully back to brick. Uh, we, we ripped everything out of that property. The only thing that remained was essentially the floor between the ground floor and the first floor and, and one, um, like spine wall in the property at the bottom, everything else was, um, was removed. So, uh, it was great because we were able to really put our our stamp on that property. We designed it, um, you know, the way we felt would absolutely optimize the space. Um, but yeah, it's quite crazy that we we got that offer accepted before even you know looking at the property. So once you get, it all comes down to experience. You know, we 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 knew the area. I'd looked at a property similar to that opposite. You know, you you can't you can't really learn these things without having you know without actually going and seeing the area and and um and meeting people
0: absolutely and then what were the figures on memorial road
1: uh yeah let me just bring them up <laughs> um we've done so many deals that i can't quite remember <laughs> um so um we bought that one for one hundred twenty-seven thousand five hundred. Um, our refurb cost on this was a lot higher because we basically went back to brick um, and we, it was a shell and we had quite a few issues with damp and rotting timbers and, and whatnot. So our refurb cost on that was $65,000. Um, our end value was 225000 and that is based on um, a hybrid investment valuation for the HMO um, just so the listeners are aware. Um, and then our monthly rental income is 2,600 and our monthly profit is, um, 1200.
0: Wow. And looking across your HMOs, I mean, on average, how much money are you leaving in the deal?
1: Well, it really comes down to the deal numbers because it works out, um, anywhere between 25% upwards. Um, so it could be anywhere from, Thirty thousand up to fifty thousand on some of the bigger deals, um, and we're finding on our more recent deals, like we've got an eight, an eight bed and a seven bed, a seven bed we just completed on last Thursday. That seven bed, um, which is our eighth deal, that's going to be our first money in, money out because of the investment valuation and because there's seven beds. So um, the ROIs on our deals are getting better and better as we as we learn and, and we look at the bigger stuff.
0: Wow. And that that's good to know, because, you know, again, like you kind of said at the beginning, it's it's often sort of touted that money in, money out is, is possible everywhere. So it's good to hear, you know, just how much you are having to leave in, um, you know, to kind of just to, to make these deals work. Now, another thing that I guess people talk about a lot is say if you're leaving 30 grand in a deal, but an investor's giving you a percentage loan, how are you paying them back everything if their money is still left in the deal?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so, what we there's so many different ways that you can you can do this, and it really comes down to your investor and and what they want and what you um, agree with them from the beginning. Um, so, a number of ways are you can either just because that's a smaller amount of investments. So, so, our investors are investing upwards of 100 grand. Um, so, if you've only got 30 grand left in, you can either swap their investment out with another investor. Um, so, you can um, find a new investor to swap that smaller amount out with um, or you can pay your investor um, the full amount of um, your profit each month until you've paid off that 30000 Um, Or if they want to extend their loan agreement, then um, you can roll on to another loan agreement. Or what we're doing on Walkden Road is we're selling onto an investor that wants just a 10% net yield. So there's enough profit in that deal for us to then pay off our investors. And that may be the investors in um, other deals. So we might sell one of our deals to pay off investors in other deals. Um, we are constantly looking at our pipeline of deals and investors, and when we need to pay our investors back, and working out, you know, if things are changing, how how are we pay, how we going to pay back our investors, and having very open, frank conversations with them in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, and then um, I know really early on, Sarah, you mentioned um, that you kind of had some problems with builders, and I know one of your projects had a bit of a falling out with the builder um, as the refit was going on. I mean, how do you find Good build how do you find and maintain good builders who you can trust especially when you're so far from your your properties
1: okay i'm going to pass you over to rob because he's the <laughs> building expert <Awesome. laughs> um
2: yeah again i think that's a good question and uh, the builder is such a pivotal part of you know what you're doing as a developer um certainly we have had builder issues uh we haven't had it plain sailing from the beginning um I think something that was probably a mistake that we made is we worked with a builder probably more on the basis that we got on really well with him. Um, and we had sort of developed quite a good relationship with him. One of the things we didn't do is we didn't go and see any of his uh, like existing work and we didn't speak to any, you know, other clients of his. So we, we actually didn't really know um whether, you know, he was going to be experienced with HMOs. Um, so I, and I think that's one of the reasons why the problems that we have had have occurred. Um, you yeah, there were some good things. There were some good aspects to that particular builder, but, um, you know, unfortunately a lot of the bad things that, that came out of it, I think just came down to a, a bit of a lack of experience really. Uh, secondly i think probably that the area that you can um really avoid i suppose confrontation is with with builders is you know getting all the uh, the detail right at the beginning um detail is just so important from from both sides as sarah mentioned earlier is you know with my background i create a lot of the designs and i do a lot of the um i actually create a full set of mechanical and electrical drawings i do you know annotated plans we do furniture layouts we give a lot of information to the builder but equally when you're at that phase before you're about to start work you want a quote that is as detailed as possible and i mean we um we were guilty at the beginning of kind of doing the you know taking a a a small bullet pointed list and a a price at the end on an email as as, as 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 a as a starting point with the builder Um, And I think that's where it leads to, you know, you can lead to gray areas where you're not entirely sure what's been included. And, you know, the builder maybe has a kind of different idea in his mind of what what has been included. So that's that's that was definitely a challenge. And I mean, we've improved so much from from then. It's kind of almost night and day, really. We're now at a point where we've got we actually have brought on a project manager now um, to deal with a lot of this, which does Definitely take out a lot of the um, like emotion when it comes to actually handling the builder. Um, but the other great thing is uh, our project manager is creating things like JCT contracts, um, like scheduled payments. So you know, making it clear as to when the builder is going to be paid and on the basis of how much, what kind of work he's been doing. Uh, much, much more detailed breakdowns on quotations. Um, so yeah we've 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 moved on a long way from where we started off uh, but I, my advice really with a the builder the, the the most important thing I think is that starting point is going and seeing um, that builder's other work and particularly if you're doing something like an HMO make sure that he's done Hmos before you know go and speak to the people that he's done work for and and get your feedback from them because um, they're you know often people will give you an honest opinion on on someone else's work particularly when it comes to being a builder and the other thing that you can do which is even easier is just go online um you know these days there's so you can find out so much about people through you know facebook and social media and google you can find out and you can do a lot of your own due diligence on on a builder's background
0: absolutely solid advice there and I think again you've you know you've slightly outsourced it to the project manager which makes your life a lot easier gives you a lot more time and really leaves it to someone who does it as their kind of day job so again you know a, a, another cost but not a cost in time so you know you can definitely make you definitely have a good balance there um and Rob you know I have to say again your properties are just beautiful inside like I have got there's pictures you sent up and I'm just looking at them as you're talking and like it's so good to see this because yes, you can do property where you kind of furnish it really basic, and you can be a millionaire, you can make loads of money, you can do what you like, happy days, but it's nice to see more of this happening where properties actually look incredible inside. Now, someone like me who's not an interior designer, but who loves you know like amazing spaces on Channel Four and, and grand designs right now, how like how expensive is it to make a property look this good? Because to me, this stuff looks well-built and luxury and expensive but I have a feeling that you're not spending luxury prices on it am I right
2: <laughs> yeah you're right and uh, I'm actually gonna hand you back to Sarah because although I do a lot of the uh, I do a lot of the kind of design and layout of the property Sarah does a lot of the finishing which is is definitely what makes our projects look as great as they are so
1: thanks Rob what a compliment <laughs> um no we um, we are definitely not spending luxury prices um, to furnish our HMOs. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you see is IKEA. It's just not the IKEA IKEA products that everyone is using. Um, and also, we get a lot of our VA, we get our VAs to do a lot of research online to try and find um, furniture and cushions and plants and things like that that are you know, the same price as Ikea. So I'll find like a, a benchmark product on Ikea and the style, and I'll say to um, LVA Care, okay, I want you to find me five products, comparable products online that are the same price um, and look the same. Um, so she'll build out a spreadsheet of affordable, lovely-looking, high-quality-looking um, interiors. Um, And we mix and match stuff. So I I mix and match things from Ikea that people would say, oh, that's probably Ikea, um, and then mix it in with other things that uh, my VA finds um, uh, online. Um, We've recently started working with the Landlord Furniture Company um, because up until now we were getting massive Ikea orders and (laughs) getting people in to build the furniture, which just took weeks. So um, they now – Just bring in the furniture, build it all. Um, I think it's actually pre-built, and then we just do all the soft furnishings, so the throws, the pillows. Um, uh, Yeah, basically that's that's it. And I I mean, in terms of budget, we work on eight hundred pounds per HMO room when we're and we and we add that to our deal analyzer. So it's account that cost is accounted for in the beginning, and it's fun. Like it's great fun. I mean, if you if you're struggling for inspiration and what to do. I mean, Pinterest is great. Um, look at other HMO investors on Instagram. There are so many of them out there that are doing high quality design focused HMOs. Look at our stuff. Um, I mean, we tend to change our designs every, uh, every HMO. So (laughs) if you want a coffee house, go ahead. (laughs) But, um, yeah, online and, and Ikea and, um, you know, for lights, for example, like uh, iconic lights are great. You can get a bedside lamp for like six pounds. Um, Desenio for art prints, they always have 30% off. Um, we're starting to use wall decors, which uh, seem to be a bit more cost effective. Um, so yeah, that would be my tips. <laughs>
0: wow, love it. And what is your Instagram name for people who want to follow you?
1: Uh, it's Green Investments.
0: Amazing. And um, you know, when it comes to like tenants viewing your properties do you find that because you've designed them and dressed them so well that, that people are fighting for rooms or is it still kind of a normal demand
2: yeah we've definitely seen an increase in uh demand for our rooms uh, probably what uh, another key factor to that apart from you know obviously the way we design and style them is uh we on the first couple of projects we did we we waited until they were completely finished then got the professional photography um done and then went to market so they weren't even really available for people to see until we'd completely done them. Um, and we tend to find, to be honest, no matter how good the, the property is, there's normally a, a four to six week period of actually filling a property. Um, even if you get a rush of tenants, they've all got to obviously fill in um, application forms. That's a couple of weeks. So a change to getting tenants in now is really as soon as it, the site is safe, and we're kind of fairly near the end of the project, we start marketing the rooms. We The good thing is for us now having you know a good portfolio of properties is we, we can use pictures from our previous projects in our adverts that our letting agent puts up or you on know, right move ads. So they get a feel for the type of finish that we're gonna be achieving. They come around, they have a look at the room as long as they're happy with the room size. A lot of the time we're getting rooms reserved before the, the property's finished um so actually at the moment it's now becoming more of a rush to us to like actually finish and furnish and get the photography done so that's already before the tenants move in rather than us sitting around waiting with an empty house so
0: i love that that's a good problem to have right that's a very good problem to have okay and what are you doing next in property i know you mentioned some bigger hmo deals but are you kind of diversifying at all looking at i don't know land development anything else
1: yeah, we will be diversifying. So we've got big plans for this year. Um, we're going to start looking at commercial to residential developments. Um, so we'll either convert these into one to two bed flats that we'll then sell on. Um, or if we're doing these up north, we will um, convert them into sort of cluster flats for, so say, four or five bed HMOs um, and refinance them and keep them on our portfolio. Um we, we want to keep adding normal HMOs. When I say normal, I mean converting a residential to a property into an HMO. Um, one of the other things that we are sort of venturing out into is, is sourcing deals because we have such a strong deal sourcing system that our VAs manage completely. Um, we've actually, we're finding that we're finding more deals than, than we want to do. Um, so uh, we're going to be sourcing those on to investors Um, this year Um, and also we've actually started privately mentoring a few people as I mentioned earlier Um, people that have just contacted us they've heard our story and and they've wanted help so um, we are limiting that though up to 10 people because we do really want to focus on being able to grow our portfolio and also dedicate enough time to those people who you know have invested their money in us for mentoring Um, as Rob mentioned, one of our big goals is to to keep outsourcing, so getting the project manager on board um, and outsourcing, say, viewing days so we don't have to go and view, Um, really just seeing what we can outsource from the business so we can focus our time on on finding the deals and and finding the money for the deals. Um, Obviously, we do really want to try as well to keep building our Maygreen brand, which seems to be working on Instagram um, and other social media channels. And uh, somewhere in between that, maybe have a couple of nice holidays. <laughs> yes, we did in October. It was amazing. We took, yeah, we took a month off and it was, uh, it was the best. It was such an epic celebration of love with all of our family and friends. So it was really, really good.
0: Amazing. And you just said you took a month off. Is that because property and outsourcing your property business essentially allowed you to?
1: Uh, well, yeah, we knew we had put in place the right team members to support the business while we were away. So uh, we have an amazing letting agent who manages our uh, HMOs in Northwood in in Bolton. Um, so we knew that they would um, be able to to manage those while we were away. Also, our VAs kept working, and obviously our project manager for the, for ongoing refurb. So we felt confident in the team, and things kept clicking along while we were away, which is good. It's not to say we didn't get still didn't get uh, loads of emails and calls
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I'd rather take calls and emails in Hawaii than here I'll tell you that (laughs) Um, and my next question is is quite broad so feel free to answer it in whichever kind of angle you want but what are your thoughts on the market the the property market in your area of investment let's say sort of Manchester Greater Manchester
2: sure Um, I mean I I have to say I'm really excited about this year as a whole, um, not just in our area. I, I think the Brexit effect obviously is is the thing that everyone's talking about at the moment. And there's all these kind of doom and gloom stories about what's potentially gonna happen. Um, obviously quite relevant at the moment as we are speaking there, I think having their vote in the House of Commons today. So uh, obviously that's, that's the headline thing, but what we're seeing in terms of the effect or what we're thinking is um, obviously there are like, transaction volumes are obviously going to be lower because of it, but I think properties that are on the market at the moment, the people that have those properties on the market, they have to sell because um, the reality is, if you didn't need to sell, you'd probably be waiting until Brexit's all done and you know we kind of know where we are at the end of the year. So consequently, already this year we are finding some amazing deals, and um, I think the ability to be able to negotiate some really good deals this year uh, because of Brexit. You know, is going to be is going to be really positive. Um, so, so from that side, we're looking at the positive side of it. Um, in terms of our area, uh, we do we invest in Greater Manchester. The HMO market is popular up there. We've certainly seen a lot more investors coming to the market, um, and I think again, there's there, that tends to sometimes be touted as a bit of doom and gloom in the fact that there might be a lot of, you know, there's, there's saturation and, and people are worrying about empty rooms. Um, we're not seeing that. And I mean, we are certainly renting our rooms to probably about the highest rents in the area. Um, I think one of the reasons why we're not seeing that is it is difficult and it's expensive to do create a high-end project product, product I should say, with an HMO, um, especially one that kind of stands out from the crowd. And I, I think that, tends to mean that our competition is our competition pool is a lot more limited um so for us we don't tend to worry too much about lots of new investors coming in so long as we're constantly offering you know a high standard product uh we just haven't seen that having an effect on our on our on any void periods um the changes i think um in the hmo licensing um what, that side of things which came in in october which basically means uh, some people may or may not know but it, it now essentially any two-story house with five people in them um you need to get a license which wasn't the case before so what's we i think what the effect that that's going to have is um a lot of hmos that Currently are unlicensed that need a license. The landlords that own those are either going to decide to Do the work, but I think a lot of landlords are going to decide to sell um, Because I, I would imagine the cost of doing the work to get them up to licensable spec is going to be too much We're certainly seeing we're viewing a lot more HMOs um, With other landlords that are selling them off uh, For that reason. So I mean we saw a couple of eight bed HMOs um last week that both only had four tenants in them each because it's they're not up to licensable spec and the landlord is now selling so that then has another effect back on the um, uh, you know the market in terms of um, saturation because if if HMO landlords are selling then obviously there's less room so you know that all it all comes back round again so again I think Actually, right now, there is a huge opportunity in the HMO market, particularly if you're doing, you know, you're you're offering a good product. Um, So I think, you know, there are loads of changes at the moment, you know, with Brexit, the licensing, all this kind of stuff. It it offers a lot of opportunities, particularly in the areas that we invest in in Manchester. There's tons and tons of development going on up there. Um, Someone we met recently. Um, dubbed Manchester Cranechester, <laughs> if, if you, <laughs> which I really liked. Because if you go into the middle of Manchester, that's how it is. There's you know, it's so much money going into Manchester. Um, we've really got to uh, really love Manchester as well, especially coming from London. That's so busy. You know, we like going to Manchester because it's got the London feel, but without you know quite as many people. Um, I think you know if we ended up finding that Manchester wasn't going to work for us anymore we're not really too fussed because we know how to test an area. And this is something I'd say to your listeners is when you are looking at an area, wherever it is in the country, you know, the most important thing is during the due diligence. So as long as that's been done and you feel like you've got a good handle on the demand, um, you know, and, and making sure that you've tested the market based on the type of product that you're offering. So if you are going to do high end HMOs, make sure there's a market for people wanting it don't go to one of those areas where you know okay there's no one else doing it but maybe there's a reason for that you know maybe people you know, don't aren't prepared to pay those levels from on room rates so um uh, so yeah i suppose that's that's why i would say on our, on our area anyway
0: That was definitely solid insight and um i like how you're seeing opportunities where others probably see downfalls or doom and gloom or things going wrong and that's That's the kind of, I guess, attitude and mentality we have to have if we're going to kind of seize these opportunities Um, and also at the same time help people out who don't want to hold on to an eight bed and and just kind of miserably rent it to to four people. Um, So what is a resource or platform, app or bit of technology that you can't live without?
2: Well, I've actually got quite a few uh because we we do use a lot of technology and, and part of creating the systems and managing vas remotely it, it does require a lot of tech um so I'll, I'll give you a few one of the ones we probably use on a daily basis is a program called slack i'm sure um, a lot of people have heard of it if you're thinking about managing vas um slack is brilliant it's like a, a messaging system that um, I mean, we're, we're virtually hardly ever delving into our emails now because we're using Slack to communicate with our VAs. You can create channels. So um, for each property that we have, we have a channel that the communication between Sarah and myself and the two VAs all go into that particular channel. So gone are the days of like having to dig through all your emails and trying to search for stuff and see if you can find communication going backwards and forwards. Um, so Slack was brilliant. Uh, Time Doctor is great which is another website that we use that logs um the hours that the virtual assistants are working so when it comes to the end of the month when i come to pay them it's just a simple case of me jumping onto time doctor looking at how long they've worked on on certain projects and paying them um again just focusing on the vas when we explain a task to a virtual assistant the way we do it is we um have a skype call with them share our screen and actually physically do the task um live with them so they can see it and in the background we use a program called screen-o-matic which basically is like a screen recording program but it also um tracks your mouse so every time you click it it kind of like does a little highlight on your mouse so that's been been brilliant um wonder list is another thing we could probably couldn't do without in terms of you know keeping our to-do lists manageable receipt bank is brilliant for um if you for your receipts so when you're going out and you're driving around and you're spending a day in an investment area you can just take photos of your receipts and it will digitally transcribe everything for expenses and this is one that i have started using recently that has really helped blocking out distractions when i'm trying to work it's a program called cold turkey um so if you go online and find this program you can basically set different uh, websites that it will block during the day for a certain period of time. So if I want to block myself from going on Facebook or Instagram, I can use this program to block it and it works on your phone as well. So uh, i found that really helpful to keep me focused.
0: Awesome. A great selection of tools there. I use some of them so I can definitely vouch for that. So... Robin, so this brings us, unfortunately, to the last part of the podcast. It's the quick fire round. Now, um, I usually ask what are your top three goals as part of this, but you've already been through them, so we'll make it a three times two. Um, let's start with what are the biggest three mistakes you've made on your property investment journey? Um, employing a
2: builder on gut and obviously not checking um, his previous work.
1: Um, I would say spending a year looking for the perfect deal um, and not having a mentor. Uh, The mentor was a game changer for us and then also a second mistake related to that is walking away from a deal when we first started on the advice of a guru that we spoke to, um, because we would have left too much money in the deal. But that deal would have cash flowed us two and a half grand per month at 45% ROI. So looking back, I would have done that deal today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely sounds like a juicy deal. Wow. Okay. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: And then what would be your top three tips for people who are new in property?
1: Okay, so I get asked this quite a lot. It's like, how do I start? What do I focus on first? And Um, We have a bit of a strategy for it, so I think your listeners would benefit from this I'll just run through it as quickly as I can but um, first and foremost is why are you in property? What's your goal? Is it monthly cash flow to replace a salary or is it pots of cash to save to buy a property or put it towards something else? Once you've worked that out and you know your goal find the best property investing strategy to achieve that goal So for us, we our goal was cash flow. So HMOs is a high cash flowing strategy So we chose that then find your area. So find an area where that strategy works. And research is key here. So we mentioned um, how to research an area of HMOs already on the podcast. So you know, go ahead and, and do that. Um, once you found your strategy in your area, then and only then should you start looking at properties in that area that will suit your chosen strategy. So a lot of newbies make the mistake, and, and we certainly did this before we had a mentor, was you go on Right Move and you start searching aimlessly just for properties, and then you try and find a strategy that would work for that deal. Um, so work on your goal, find your strategy, then your area, and then your property, and have laser-like focus in that approach.
0: I love it. Great tips for everyone listening. Robin Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, everyone, go follow them on Instagram um, and connect with them both on Facebook and look, thank you so much. This has been an incredible episode. There's going to be so much value um, that people are going to take from this and uh, I'm really looking forward to releasing it. So yeah, thank you so much. No problem. Well, thanks for having us on stage.
2: If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook,
1: LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.